The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome everybody. This is Squawk Box. China's factory gate prices jump at their fastest pace in over a decade as raw material costs surge, fueling concerns over a rising tide of inflation. The World Bank lifts its global growth outlook, seeing the fastest recession recovery in 80 years. But the group warns emerging countries are at risk of falling behind due to uneven vaccination rates. Tesla sales in China surged in May despite a consumer backlash, almost a doubling on the month, but still well short of the almost 36,000 deliveries seen in March. And France is open for business. The second phase of easing lockdown starts today as indoor dining resumes and the country launches a digital health pass. So, very good morning, everybody. Uh, we're going to have a look here at the China producer prices. But um, they used to say on Sesame Street, you remember that wonderful program, one of these things is not like the other. And I want to see if you can guess what it is before I point it out to you. So, Chinese producer prices have risen at their fastest annual pace in over 12 years. That beat expectations as the global recovery boosted demand for commodities, including steel, copper and coal. The 9% jump in May is also partly explained by a low comparison point as many economies were in lockdown at this time last year. Now, have you spotted the odd one out here? I think you probably have. Consumer prices rose 1.3% year on year, but they declined slightly on a monthly basis. This has some important information about the pass-through of inflation from the factory gate to the consumer. Sam is with us for more on the story here, Sam. And this data continues to throw up suggestions that companies are struggling to take these costs all the way through to the end user. Good morning to you, Jeff. Absolutely. This is largely like we saw last month, a story of higher commodity prices, but also falling food prices in China. And that was certainly a question that I put to economists today. Why is this pass through to the Chinese consumer so limited at the moment? And why do these... uh, Uh, companies and certainly the downstream manufacturers in China seem to be absorbing the cost. And they told me that uh, this is because this arena is largely dominated by the private sector. And so we know there's a lot of competition uh, within that. And so uh, they do have better tools to adapt to this. They are better at handling uh, this. And that's why we haven't seen too much of an impact yet. But certainly, uh, depending on how long this goes for, uh, this could start to have an 
effect uh, on those profit margins because, of course, we did see, as you said, factory gate prices running hot for another month as those uh, producers did pass on those higher commodity prices like oil and iron ore, which, of course, China uh, buys a lot of. And so that does signal continued upstream price pressure on those producers, which they do pass on at the factory gate fairly consistent with those official PMI numbers that we got that saw rising raw material costs uh, weighing on those Chinese exporters. We also saw supplier-side constraints uh, also weighing on those uh, producers uh, as well. But I would like to point out that uh, economists say as the fiscal stimulus in China uh, is tapered down, uh, perhaps the demand for these commodities will start to ease and so will those global prices. Guys, back to you. Sam, thank you very much for running us through those numbers out of China today. Well, the US trade deficit fell to $68.9 billion in April, down from a record high in March. Declining demand for imported consumer goods contributed to the reading and weaker appetite for cell phones and other household goods. Meanwhile, the US and EU will reportedly end their $18 billion tariff dispute when President Biden meets with European leaders next week. Both sides will resolve to remove tariffs by the end of the year, according to a Bloomberg report citing a draft of the conclusions. Brussels and Washington have engaged in a tit-for-tat trade battle over an argument on aircraft subsidies, while they have also each slapped levies on steel and aluminium. The World Bank has raised its 2021 global growth forecast to 5.6%, which would mark the strongest comeback from a recession since 1940. However, World Bank President David Malpass warned that the pandemic has highlighted inequalities, urging countries to come together in an effort to accelerate vaccine distribution across the globe. He added that countries should take this opportunity to spur, quote, green, resilient and inclusive growth. So what they're talking about in terms of these developing and emerging markets and how they're being left behind in the recovery phase, the per capita income losses will not be unwound by next year. Two thirds of the emerging market and developing countries will still be facing that pain. And effectively, I think what we've been talking about before the pandemic started, how to close the gap with some of these countries, the income inequality we witnessed, trying to raise GDP levels. And some of this is now reversed. So we're talking about twin crises in many cases, and if not uh, uh, triple crises as well, because you've got the, the challenge of the pandemic, a health crisis clearly, but also the economic fallout, the poverty rates that are going back up again in some of these countries, and the political fallout too, when you see some of these nations where you start to see unevenness on the economic side, then you have a political challenge and wars that break out as well. So I think uh, what the World Bank is highlighting, the, the need for this COVAX program to be back working effectively instead of developing uh, nations uh, scrambling for what is left from these developed nations on the vaccine side, there needs to be a very active program running efficiently to get these nations vaccinated. There are some very interesting echoes uh, that are being set up by these rising prices. Uh, and just recently, um, I, I read a good piece about how there is a marker around food prices that we've now achieved in the Middle East, mm. which was the same as what provoked the Arab Spring, ultimately. Um, and so that's raised concerns, and that sort of fit, fits in with the backstory, I think, about how escalating prices and an uneven recovery does create social tension in emerging economies. 
but not everything is bad. And it's it's one of these um, very complicated stories for our audience, I think, where, you know, uh, one of the stories I picked up this morning, Reuters, uh, Asian companies have seen their biggest earnings upgrade in six months. There are particular areas, structural themes that are underpinning these um, earnings um, uh, upgrades, semiconductors, electric vehicles, internet, gaming, and so on and so forth. But ultimately, banks now are lifting their forward uh, 12-month earnings forecast by nearly 4% for a lot of these uh, Asian companies. That is a big jump in expectations. We've got the same kind of upgrades going on in the developed world as well for companies. On the face of that, that should all be very encouraging. Unfortunately, you know, even as the, um, the World Bank is upgrading their broader growth expectations here, you've got people like David Costin over at Goldman Sachs now saying, and he's crunched data back to 1962, Liberum have gone back 300 years, and the data basically confirms that it gets harder from here to make money in equities when inflation expectations are rising and investors are increasingly positioned to expect higher interest rates. So even as there's a lot of euphoria around the opening up and the, uh, and the prospect for higher earnings as a result of some of these price increases, there is a bit of a sting in the tail here. And increasingly, I think our audience are going to have to dance clever around this and be better stock pickers rather than index buyers. I mean, there's all sorts of funny numbers going around in this rebound. But if you look at what's now forecast out of the United States, clearly not a a normal level of growth, you know, 2 to 3%, much more normal what we expected. 6.8% yeah. is what they're chasing this year. But that is more than the 6% in emerging markets and developed nations. And you think about parts of the world that need to grow faster to catch up. The United States, with all of the stimulus and the bounce back from base effects, will grow faster. But you say, well, what about the base effects in some of these countries? It doesn't matter because they're not getting the recovery side. Just to your point around the farmers and what we're witnessing on the inflation side, I think there are some really great stories out there. We've been covering them a lot where big companies now saying we want to pay adequate wages to compensate some of these farmers, those who are right at uh, the coalface of producing this uh, valuable commodity for the world that became even more valuable during lockdown. We want to compensate those farmers adequately, adequately for their input into the supply chain. So that is happening at some of the big companies. Elsewhere, though, it's just not happening across the board. You think about some of the small farmers that typically would have gone to a market, a physical market to sell their goods, haven't been able to do so. So they've lost out uh, for, for many, many months. There's been some technology uh, applications rolled out to try and get them to sell into global markets, and that's been good news. But the problem is it's not happening on volume at this stage. It's individual small stories in various parts of the world. That's encouraging. It's just not enough to make a difference at this point. Yeah, just coming back to your point about US growth, they are going to grow strongly, but how much of that is down to government spending? Yeah. It's borrowing, basically, isn't it? Well, and while we're on the subject of borrowing, uh, the US Senate has passed a $250 billion industrial bill aimed at boosting the country's competitiveness against China. The bipartisan bill includes greater investment in scientific research, subsidies for chip makers and robot makers, and an overhaul of the National Science Foundation. President Biden welcomed the move, saying the US can't, quote, risk falling behind. Uh, President Biden has ended talks with Republican senators over a bipartisan infrastructure bill, 
The president has now reached out to three senators who've been working on a separate bipartisan effort as he looks for alternative ways of securing a deal. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki also confirmed the U.S. leader has spoken to Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi about approving an infrastructure bill in the Senate with a simple majority. Let's take a look at some of that U.S. market action. It does feel as though we're somewhat becalmed, even at these high levels. Uh, the S&P 500, not far from some of its records, but you could see just really not budging very far from the flat line. Also for the other major markets, for the Dow, uh, just tilting lower by about a tenth of a percent. Back-to-back uh, -back losses there. A little bit of appetite again for technology names. And in fact, Amazon, one of the big drivers for both the S&P and also for the Nasdaq, having the most positive impact up about a third of a percent. Apple also moving as well. But investors are still fixated on the data. They're waiting for a catalyst, a, a tipping point for this market to be driven higher or lower from here. And uh, inflation numbers coming out on Thursday. That's a key one for the markets to watch out for. So investors at this stage are still just taking a wait and see approach, which is taking a little bit of the action out of the markets at this point. I want to show you treasuries. Uh, what we have seen has been a very soft level on this yield as well. That uh, non-fund payrolls report that was contained did not shoot past expectations. That's taken, again, some of the steam out of this uh, US 10-year yield. Some are actually just selling down positions where they thought there would be a steepening taking place, just reversing out of that. And 1.52 is where we're sitting on the 10-year as a result. Now, given this slight yield fade we are witnessing, let's just take a look at the dollar. There's not been a huge amount of appetite here for the greenback at this point. And sterling, 141.57 this morning, uh, close to 122 again on euro dollar. Dollar is weaker versus the Japanese yen and also versus the yuan. Uh, still a lot of appetite, though, away from uh, some of these big cap stocks in the meme stocks. Investors chasing them higher. And Clover was the one that really uh, busted out onto the big scene yesterday. Investors adding this one to the, the list of stocks that they are starting to take a look at. 85% higher. This was a, a company, a healthcare company that merged with a SPAC and uh, came to the market. And the, uh, some of the big uh, hedge funds were a little bit cautious about what the company had reported to investors. But sitting on the other side now, retail traders who think there should be a squeeze in this stock higher. So you can see it's moved much more aggressively than the others. Wendy's stock, 25% uh, higher. GameStop uh, still showing some action. A very tame outing for AMC Entertainment in the session yesterday versus what we've witnessed recently. Let's take a look at the commodities complex oil. Uh, this is how we're setting up. You can see Brent and WTI both firmer trades this morning, half of a percent. Uh, some curious comments recently that even if there is a nuclear arrangement with Iran, that some sanctions may remain in place, which is quite in contrast, I think, to where the market has been positioning a little bit about Iran input uh, into the global oil market. Uh, the other price we're looking at today is gold, 1893. We're just perched uh, fractionally higher on the bullion trade. Let's get a look at the Asian markets on the back of that fairly hot year-on-year -year CPI and uh, the producer prices number, even though we had tame monthly numbers. You can see the Shanghai Composite four-tenths higher. The rest of the markets across Asia, though, trading slightly soft, as you can see. Japanese stocks trading off by about a third of a percent. We're going to have more on the markets ahead of Thursday's inflation reading with Mobius Capital Partners founder Mark Mobius. That interview is coming up at 9 o'clock CET. And we'll also find out whether the CEO of Goldman Sachs International thinks the U.S. could hike rates in the near term. When we speak with Richard Noddy, that interview is coming up at 10 o'clock CET. Jeff.
And coming up, uh, France further eases international travel restrictions with strict conditions. We'll talk about that and uh, Le Slap. We'll get into that conversation. Plus, for more on China's latest inflation reading, uh, let me commend to you the Squawk Box podcast. I'm told it's a goodie today. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Tesla sales in China bounced back in May, rising by 29% after a fall in April, according to the China Passenger Car Association. Arjun is with us uh, for more on the story from Guangzhou. This is an incredibly competitive market now, Arjun. Interesting to see how Tesla continues to fare. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Jeff. Just before I get into that competition, I do want to just dig into those numbers a bit more because they're made up of two parts. Uh, as you know, China uh, Tesla makes cars, uh, the Model 3 and Model Y in its Shanghai factory. And of that number you just mentioned, about 11,500 of those cars were made in China, cars exported to other markets. That was a fall from April. But if we look at the cars that were sold in China, uh, that was nearly 22,000. That was double April's figure. So that is very welcome for investors to see the sales in the China market rebounding so strongly here. Now, of course, there was a big PR storm in April uh, stemming from the Shanghai Auto Show when a lady jumped on one of the Tesla cars on display, claiming that the brakes uh, were faulty on her model. Tesla initially dismissed the uh, alleged customer's claims and was branded arrogant by state media. Tesla later apologizing and saying it will do better in customer service. But that was really uh, the biggest PR disaster it's uh, seen here in China. So this bounce back certainly welcome showing it can at least weather the storm for now. Now you mentioned that competition that really uh, is a big headwind for Tesla here because you've not just got the established automakers jumping into the electric vehicle space as well. There are a number of startups investing uh, very heavily to expand uh, their capability in production in offering new models the likes of Xiaopeng and Neo as well, fighting at similar price points and to some extent undercutting Tesla in some areas as well. So that's going to be one potential area that investors need to look at for Tesla in China, which of course, incredibly important market for the company. Now, just throwing it forward, looking at the current month we're in, June, a number of headwinds maybe to look out for in terms of Tesla's performance here. Firstly, you've got this continued global chip shortage that is hitting the auto makers at the moment. But on top of that, in China specifically, there's a, a holiday coming up, a public holiday nationally. On top of that, the uh, college entrance exams as well, which are a big deal here and could take some of the purchase, purchasing days out of the month. But certainly uh, investors welcoming uh, this uh, rebound in sales for May. The question is, can it be sustained over the coming month? Guys, back to you. The White House is forming expert groups along with the EU, the UK, Canada and Mexico in order to determine how best to restart travel after a year of major pandemic-induced disruptions. 
According to a US official, the Biden administration will not be moving to quickly lift travel measures, but carriers have been informed that the assessments to help travel resume are underway. This as the Centre for Disease Control eased travel recommendations on 110 countries this week. France is set to reopen for foreign visitors today. The new rules will allow vaccinated tourists from some countries to enter without a negative COVID test. Charlotte has more on the reopening story. Good morning, Jeff. And an important point here is that it's fully vaccinated tourists, at least when it comes to the amber list. You have this new system coming into place today, green, amber and red, similar to what we see in the UK. In the green list, you have most of the EU countries where people will be able to come and travel again, reopening entirely the borders, no justification uh, for the fully vaccinated tourists. The ones that haven't been vaccinated will just have to have a PCR and antigen test. In the amber list, uh, you'll have the UK, for example, and the US and most of the world countries. Uh, there you will have, if fully vaccinated, you won't need anything. Otherwise, you will have uh, to uh, have a, a test and a seven day quarantine. And then you have the red list with India, South Africa and Brazil. And of course, it's an important step for the countries, the most visited country in the world. So a very important step there. That's part of the several restrictions that are being lifted today. You'll have also indoor hospitality reopening at limited capacity. You'll have the curfew moving finally from 9pm to 11pm. You'll have gyms reopening and a lot of those restrictions are lifting. And that's, of course, uh, uh, they hope to have a boost of this ahead of the summer, this reopening, of tourism being a big part of it. The number of cases at the lowest is since September, uh, so that they have encouraging that the Delta variant hasn't been seen very much in the country. They have a few clusters just near the border region, so they're keeping an eye on this, but at the moment it's not causing problems in France uh, just yet. And you have about 42% of the adult population have received at least one dose of the vaccine. So now we see this reopening happening. The final uh, step of this reopening will be June 30th, with all restrictions lift. And as I said, uh, today, tourism hopefully uh, revive uh, reopening the borders ahead of the summer, where they hope the economy can ha get a boost from it. Guys. Yeah, and Charlotte, just before we let you go, we, we should probably just mention Le Slap, since it got some attention yesterday on uh, Mr Macron's tour. Um, what does it indicate, if anything, about his popularity at the moment? Well, look, there's been uh, just across the board condemnation on this act uh, yesterday. We saw this slap. President Macron is on the Tour de France at the moment, going to region, really trying to take the pulse on uh, the, in the country before the beginning of the electoral campaign. You know that the presidential campaign is in the next spring. And so uh, we have this, this uh, the president going on the ground to try and meet people. And you had this yesterday, this moment where the president was slapped in the face. So condemnation across the board from all political parties. There's some concern whether this is an ice isolated uh, incident or whether it reflects something deeper. Um, look, there's been bigger verbal violence on the political scene like we've seen in other countries. Now, there's a concern that it's become a physical violence. Uh, so there's really uh, a worry of what this means uh, going ahead. President Macron himself said, look, this is an isolated incident. We should not allow this uh, to take over the public debate. They don't deserve it. Uh, but certainly that's something that will uh, cause a bit of soul searching what is happening uh, in the country's kind of discontent that we've seen some flare-ups I've seen here or there from one window from the people that have been arrested, two people have been arrested. Uh, 
uh, they, they shouted down with the Macroni and Montjoie Sadini, which was uh, the battle cry for the French army when it was still a monarchy. So which would indicate, according to some uh, newspaper, that it could be a far right activist. But again, there haven't been confirmations just yet, but certainly a moment of um, questioning of what this could mean for the months ahead and the electoral campaign for the presidential election coming just in less than a year, guys. And Charlotte, thank you very much for that. Uh, I think it'd be disappointing if uh, we saw any change to Macron's approach. I mean, he's very much on the front foot going out there, greeting people. I've also uh, been uh, in one of those receiving lines shaking his hand, and he's well known for his, the strength of his handshake, and often it's a double grip, and you can see he went in to, to shake this uh, particular protesters' hand uh, with uh, lots of goodwill, but it uh, didn't go well this particular time. You can see, even with the security guards there, he was trying to get back out and continue with the, the, the line of greetings. So it would be disappointing if it changed his approach. I don't think it will, but security, no doubt, probably is having a word in his ear about Well, uh, I mean, you know, this. this is, um, this is um, one of those unfortunate things that happens, and nobody wants to see violence in any campaign as such. But let, let's not um, beat around the bush. We are in a campaign. He is in a campaign. He knows that he is going to have to fight for his political life for the president, presidential elections uh, going forward. Uh, um, the gallery, uh, the folks who are pushing the buttons, just chatting about John Prescott here. It's worth just remembering John Prescott when he was faced with a, uh, a similar act, uh, managed to lump the attacker pretty hard in the face. Um, <laughs> Perhaps uh, Macron would have had a go back if the security hadn't jumped in it's in time. It's fight or flight, isn't it? Those instinctive responses that just happen with some individuals. Yeah. You can't help it. But, I mean, Massey, security, and I've been around his security before, they are fierce. They're, they're quite dominant, I've got to say. So yeah. you can see they did have a fairly quick reaction there with the protester and also with Macron himself. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame for democracy as well because I don't think we want a situation where our leaders are constantly just pulled away from the public because they're in fear of some violence or uh, problem in, the re in that relationship. Of course, and as you've mentioned, you know, a very divisive figure here. And I think Macron's been in election mode since he was elected last time. He knew the challenge then. He had a huge reform agenda. And, of course, uh, Marine Le Pen, very close uh, result as well. And this time around, it's not going to be easy on the back of a series of challenges from the Yellow Vest protests mm -hmm. to pension reform and, of course, uh, pandemic handling as well. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.